0: Are you tired of searching for quality music for your next project? Soundstripe is the answer. Never worry about licensing again. With Soundstripe, your membership covers the cost for every song license. Just find the right track, download the file, and get a custom license. That's it. No channel or media-specific fees. No recurring royalties ever. Strike the right chord with radio-quality music. Browse their wholly-owned library of over 5,000 royalty-free songs composed by Grammy-winning talent. Enjoy unlimited licensing, new music every week, and stem files with every track. Soundstripe was founded by three musicians with one purpose in mind. Keep creators creating. It's why they only publish exceptional media and keep their licensing simple and prices reasonable. With over 5 million licenses issued and over 200 songs added each month, why look any further? Head over to soundstripe.com and enjoy unlimited, royalty-free music to create exceptional work. Plus, if you use our promo code BEVIDEO, you'll get an extra 10% off your subscription. Again, enter promo code B as in boy, E as in elephant, video, all one word at checkout for 10% off soundstripe.com take your work to the next level
1: episode 259 well i am back shauna be back with me uh on the next episode uh it's been a while and believe you me we miss you we miss recording and uh putting out some good content for you guys um it's been a long long month actually i don't even know if it's actually been a month close enough to a month though um it's it's been a long road for us Uh, My house has gone through um, a lot of health issues. I tell you what, you send your kid to daycare and your kid comes back with things to share. (laughs) I know a lot of you know how that is, uh, but this whole house has been under um, for the past month and it's been really difficult to uh, get behind the microphone to do anything. It's been difficult to get out of the house to do uh, just about anything, uh but we're on the men's, we're getting back together again and uh trying to get back to some sense of normalcy uh Sean has been doing a lot of work going back and forth place to place, doing his thing, and uh he can tell his story later uh but I'm happy to be back with you, and I'm happy to uh get a chance to put out an episode. And I'll uh, spend a little bit of time. So, let me whistle. Let's get into it. Um, so, I was uh, having a conversation with a guy today. And it really made me want to jump behind the microphone. As, as I was feeling a little bit better. A lot better, actually. Um, you know, we were talking about sports. And obviously nfl is back in action in full swing uh the nhl is going on um mlb is in the playoffs it's october playoff time and um it's it's just a great time for fall sports right so i've got some buddies who are just like refusing to watch any sports these days um yeah one buddy who's just like you know doesn't like all the political crap that the uh that the the sports are are pushing nowadays and uh that's his hill that he's decided to die on it's like you know i don't want to watch football and hear political statements i don't want to watch baseball and hear political statements just play the damn game and you know i understand that sentiment I understand wanting to just be entertained and shut off the brain and just focus on the game that you love and focus on the game that you grew up with, right? Especially when you got good memories of just good old fashioned sitting down with your with your pops or moms or whoever uncle and um, cracking open a, a nice cold one and just watching the game, having a good time. Right, the last thing you want to do is have to think. And I'm all for that. Believe you me, I use sports specifically as much as I love it. I use sports to defrag and to just, uh, you know, take my mind off of stuff. It's fun to just watch the game. And and to be honest with you, I I don't see the beginning of games, and I don't hear a lot of their political statements. It's not something that I that I'm watching for, and not something that I pay attention to. Most of the time, I'm, you know, catching a game while it's already in progress, especially with a little two-year-old running around the house, uh, keeping things busy. I'll turn the TV on and, and I'll get to it when I get to it. But once I'm able to sit down and crack one open, I'm there, right? Sitting there, remote control is behind me. I'm not touching it. The game is on, right? It's a beautiful thing, um, but a lot of politics and sports these days is just throwing people off. And more part to you if that's the hill that you want to die on. Knock yourself out. Talk to another buddy today, he says he, he can't stand watching sports anymore because of the uh because of the not the political stuff, but more along the lines of the morality issues. Right? So you got This player, uh, you know, getting caught up, you know, with, you know, somebody else's wife or, you know, the the sexual, the the marital uh, infidelity stuff. And, you know, these different players out there that are thinking that they're top shit. They're just going to screw around in every city that they go into the morality issues, turns them off. He's not interested in watching the game. I got it. You know, with college football stuff, you know, you got, you know, the the crazy shit that's happened in the news with, you know, coaches messing around with players. And, you know, we saw a lot of that stuff with the, the Olympics and these different universities not taking a stand the way that they should on the morality front. And uh, stepping up to the plate and doing right by these families of kids who have been abused and and really maligned and mistreated um, by these coaches, and I understand that too. Not unsympathetic to that at all. I think that that's you know it's all noble, good, well and good. But you know, as we talked about that, I was I, you know I had to be honest and say you know honestly, I I don't have a problem with. that's not I have a problem with that stuff don't get me wrong but that stuff isn't enough to deter me from the game you know Um, I'm still going to watch sports I'm still going to sit down you know this week going on you got you know the ALDS and you got the, the American League you got the National League um that are playing right now and everybody's there. the race for the pennant, right? I'm watching. I don't care what political shit they put out there. I'm not seeing it anyway. Not even trying to look for it, pay attention. I'm watching it. I'm watching football. I'm on these fantasy teams. And, um, although my, I, I'm sucking right now, I'm only three and three. So I'm not doing too good. And I never do good with fantasy especially if I put money down all I gotta do is put down money and it's a guaranteed loss for me Um, but that stuff doesn't deter me from watching but I understand it and I can sympathize with people who maybe are emotionally triggered with some of the things that are going on you know you you remember the, the shit with Kaepernick and the whole police brutality thing with the NFL I get that it was very emotionally charged and enough to turn a lot of people off from sports. I get that. Um, I understand that you know these players have a platform and so they're going to use their platform to make their statements that they are um, that they are emotionally charged with and and that they believe in their protests, their whatever that they do more power to them do what you do we're in a country where there's freedom of speech right even though that's debatable right you still get people getting kicked off of twitter for (laughs) disagreeing with anthony fauci so um you disagree with fauci you disagree with science you know you've got all of that going on And I understand, you don't want to watch it. Fine. I'm still going to watch it. I'm not going to judge you. You don't judge me. But that got me to thinking, right? I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't have a hill like that, that I'm willing to die on when it comes down to sports. But as we were talking, I'm thinking to myself, I do have a hill like that, though, that I would die on when it comes down to church. And seeing that this is the Young Church Podcast, I thought I'd come on here and rap about it a little bit. Maybe you'll agree with me on some of these points. Maybe not. And I'm not looking for your agreement. I'm just uh, utilizing my platform. So this is our platform. This is what we do. We talk about this kind of stuff. We challenge serious things um, all the time. And so I'm challenging some stuff tonight. And 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 here are my reasons. Here are my heels. This is my heel that... I'm willing to die on for the church, for not going back to the four walls that we call a church, not going back to the building. Remember, our stance from the very beginning was the church is not the building, it's the people, you know, fuck the building, we're the unchurched. So here it is. The first one for me is the love of money. Now, maybe that doesn't seem to be um, one that's a big deal to you, but it was a big deal to me. I found that, uh, and I had been in church all my life, up to the last, you know, five years of my life, and I'm almost 40. So I've been in church, you know, the greater part of my life, over 35 years, being involved in the church. And I felt like one of the biggest distractions to worship the way that we did it was money. I i had been in services where they were past the basket five times, depending on what's going on. Like, let there be a convocation or some kind of a, a conference or something like that where you got a multiple speakers and all those speakers are looking for a check. I've been in services, man, where there there's like 12 speakers. And they all are in full-time ministry looking for a check. And they're passing that basket over and over again. And the deacons in the church, they're just sitting in the back counting money. And they're just like, we ain't got enough. We got to take another offering. All right, here we go. Sing another song. Do a little bit more worship. Do another offering. All right, they go back and count that. Oh, we still ain't got enough. All right, let's let up a few preachers go. Folk get happy. You get some preaching going on. You get the organ going. Get the piano going. People shout a little bit. All right. Sit a couple of preachers down. Count that money. We ain't got enough. Let's take up another offering. I, I've i been there. I've been in services that will go hours and hours and hours. And they're just taking offering after offering after offering. I'm telling you what. I understand that people need to get paid. I understand that preachers need to get paid. On and on. But when it's so distracting from... Just the flow of the service, constantly doing offerings and stuff like that. Um, it's a huge turnoff, man. I think that there is just another model, financial model, that would benefit the church, and it's something that when I was in church, I was a big advocate of a different financial model because that model that we that that we use in the churches today is not the model that was in scripture. It was never like that. You don't see in scripture passages where they, you know, took breaks from the speaking or from the worship or whatever to take an offering. It just didn't exist. And you may argue and say, well, you know, the church has evolved today and we, you know, we've got programs and you've got a staff and you've got a pastor over music and a pastor over you know the convalescent lesson home and you got a a pastor over uh, outreach and you got a pastor for evangelism and a pastor for children and a pastor for young adults and a pastor for singles and a pastor for marriage and you got all these different pastors in churches today that head up all of these departments and they all got to get paid because they all do it full-time or, or part-time or whatever. Uh, and so they're relying on tithes and offerings to come in in order to pay for all of this infrastructure. And I've always had a problem with it. You know, the, the deeper I got into church and saw the frustration of pastors and leaders uh, that because of the lack of money coming in and the stress Associated with that, you know, it, it, there was a stat years ago. I, I can't remember who who did the survey, but it was like um twenty percent, eighty percent of the church was funded by only twenty percent of the people that were coming because eighty percent of the people didn't tithe. You know, they just didn't give ten percent. And if everybody gave ten percent, then you know the work would be funded, but. Partially, depending on how much the senior pastor was making, right? But that was always a big problem for me. Maybe it is for you too, but that was always a big problem for me. I didn't like the financial model uh, for the church. It sucked. It was always a point of contention and a point of stress. Uh, And I would argue unnecessarily and I think that it was a big hindrance to getting the gospel out um, you know we just could have did a better job now what's a better financial model for the church well that's a totally different conversation and different podcast I'm not going to go into that if you want to hire me to come in I'll tell you <laughs> but the love of money was a big turn off for me uh, the second thing was the, uh, it was just a lot, of, just a lot of sexual abuse. Uh, a lot of it, predominantly in the Catholic Church, that you've seen, you've heard of. Like, have you ever seen the movie Spotlight? I think it was on Netflix. Broke my heart. I cried like a little baby after watching that. With all the priests just getting shuffled around because it wouldn't fire him they send them for reconditioning and um whatever and then move them to a different parish and there's been so many jokes written about them uh if you care to look it up one day google um, uh, robin williams his bit about um uh, about priests getting moved from parish to parish it's a hilarious bit But also sad at the same time because he he says everything in a funny way, but he actually tells the truth of exactly the way that the church operates. And um, it's very disheartening. It's very disheartening that something like that has been going on for decades upon decades upon decades. And um, and I would argue that nothing's been done about it all this time. So. To relocate a sexual offender um, instead of terminating them and prosecuting them, I think is one of the greatest travesties of today's church that exists. And it still breaks my heart. And I'm talking slower, just thinking about it just now, even though I wrote this note down to discuss, it still breaks my heart to this day to even think about it i mean the many thousands of people whose lives have been just ruined by sexual predators it's terrifying and to to even think of the judgment that will come as they stand before god i i, I can i I, I, I've, I've got very little words about this. But until something is done about it, you, you won't see me in your Sunday service. And it's not just that church. it's many of churches. it's denominational churches as well where this happens. The pastors are fed up with their wives and blah, blah, blah. And then they they get into other relationships and fidelity even abuse of teenage girls, it's, it's, it's jaw dropping. Um, there are many churches out there now that have these policies uh, that I've found that they've got these policies where pastors aren't allowed to, to meet with women alone in a closed door. And you know, I heard this about I think it was Joel Osteen, his church down in Texas. He was being made fun of for a long time about that policy. He held that policy. He's not going to meet with a woman by himself without his wife or, you know, another, you know, person. And if he had to meet with them alone, the door was always open and somebody was outside the door, somebody working at the desk right there or whatever. Um you know it could be an invasion of privacy whatever you want to call it but it was self preservation on his behalf and and i respect that about him i uh, definitely not making fun of him for it because the last thing you need as you grow a church that large is to have some sexual assault case come against you or somebody accusing you of you know some flirting or something like that you got to cya right um, the fact is, is that I think he was just aware of the fact that a lot of this shit has been going on forever. And, it, you know, it ain't necessarily going to stop with him. So he better protect himself and protect his family. And I say kudos to you, bro, if that's what you're doing. And if you're a pastor out there and that's not something that you're doing, maybe you might want to think about it just so you don't get caught up in the mix. I'm a firm believer of that. I know when I was pastoring, I had the same policy. I, was, I, I would never meet with a woman by myself, and um, and even if I had to, it was out in the open or the door was open, somebody was out there, or I always had somebody covering my back because that shit ain't cool. so people are cr- people out here crazy, man. so you got to do what you got to do. The other thing for me is the spiritual abuse aspect of it. So, and what I mean by spiritual abuse is the fact that I consider spiritual abuse is I, I consider that to be like um, how do I say it? Basically, basically like false doc, false indoctrination, false teachings when you're using the Bible as a mode of control case in point if I can go back to the first point the money aspect of it I don't believe that churches teach the law of tithing correctly I don't think they do I've been in churches where they're like you know the question comes up uh, <laughs> this is and this is still funny to me. Um, the question comes up: Well, Pastor, what should I tithe off of, my net or my gross? <laughs> if your pastor says, "Well, which one do you want God to bless?" <laughs> which one do you want God to bless? somebody doesn't understand the way that finances work either it's you or it's the pastor i don't know um and then you i don't know i'll just set this here and um i'll just leave it there for you to chew on um the the way that the way that most churches teach the the law of tithing is just that they teach it as a law They teach it as a law because it was actually written under the law. So the question stands, which covenant do you live under? Do you live under the law or do you live under grace? That's the question. Well, if they're teaching it law, then they're also teaching the consequences of disobeying that law. Because that's what the law is, right? The law brings about death. But grace and truth, right? Grace and truth. The law came by Moses. but Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So which are you following? Are you following the law of Moses or are you following the grace and truth that comes through Jesus Christ? Now, that being said, if you're going to be a part of a church, you you, you should give, right? If you truly do believe in the mission and the vision of the church, you should give. And you shouldn't be bound to some percentage. If you can give 10%, give it. If you can't give 10%, then don't. Give less. If you can give more than 10%, then give more than 10%. But if your mindset is, oh, I got to give this 10% and then you don't do it because you got a light bill due and then you fall under guilt and condemnation, then you're not living according to the grace and truth that Jesus provided for you in his death, burial and resurrection. You're living under the law. So you need to choose where your faith lies because giving is all the result of faith your faith is in the law or your faith is in grace which one i know that they're both you know two legs to walk on and there's a whole and and we can get into a whole doctrinal debate about law versus grace and i'll win and (laughs) but the fact is is that you know if 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 you believe you're condemned, then you are. That's scripture. If your conscience offends you, then you're guilty. But your conscience will only def- uh, only proclaim you guilty if you're believing something that's not true. Uh, not granted, you know. Obviously, if if you really are sinning, then your conscience is is going to condemn you, right? But if your conscience is condemning you for something that's not sin and you believe it, then you're condemned. It just is what it is. The fact is, is that we need the truth of the word. And it's just so many different examples like that, right? That fall under this spiritual abuse category. You know, when I see Christians going up for altar calls because of their extremely sinful lives. And they feel like they need to be forgiven again. Otherwise they're not going to get into heaven. I would consider that some spiritual abuse. Because instead of telling people that you need to repent over and over again. they They need to believe that Jesus Christ died for all of their sins. And that they need to press more into him. Because you saying you're sorry isn't going to change your behavior. But pressing into Christ, into your relationship with him, will. So what is it that you're going to teach? Most pastors are out there teaching death, hell, and damnation. They're teaching all this sin shit, and sin this, and sin that, and hell this, and death, and hell, and sin. And they're not teaching the righteousness of Christ. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're new creation in him. And it takes time to learn to walk and to talk and to, to live according to Christ. And if you're not taught how to live according to Christ, all you're being taught is death, hell, and damnation, you'll never change. There will be no change in your life. It's the grace of God and the truth of God that came by Jesus Christ that causes change in a person's life. And anything that's taught besides that is spiritual abuse, in my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. But until we preach more about Jesus than we do about sin and death and damnation, man, it breaks my heart when I'm seeing pastors go up I'm so sorry, I've sinned, I've done this, I've done that. And it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it. You fucked up. Um, it, doesn't need, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to reestablish your salvation every Sunday. When you got the same people coming up every single Sunday for an altar call. Reestablishing or, or resetting their relationship with Christ. I, I get it. I get the teaching and I get the the mindset behind it. But I'm telling you, it's only truth that makes us free. I don't care how many times you repent. I don't care how many times you say you're sorry. I don't care how many times you you fuck up or, you know, whatever. Righteousness is not in our perfection and keeping the law. But righteousness is in faith. You're declared righteous as a result of faith. The just shall live by faith. Not by repentance. Not by works. Not by your perfection. The just shall live by faith. The just, the just meaning the righteous, shall live by faith. Christianity is a walk of faith, not a walk of performance. Performance. But again, you know, hey, you may disagree with me, and that's okay, too. Man, It's a whole lot of people that disagree with me. It's a whole lot of people that disagree with the Bible because they don't know how to read it. Um, But nevertheless, unless that kind of shit right there is corrected in the church, there's no point in me going. I've tried to change so many things. In the church when I was active, especially in the aspect of teaching and understanding of scripture and understanding of the way God looks at us versus the way that we look at ourselves versus the way the pastors will actually teach. I'm of the opinion that God has a higher opinion of you than you have of yourself. And I'm of the opinion that that is absolutely necessary in order for us to actually press toward a calling. Like Paul said, I press toward the mark for the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Like, so if I'm pressing for some higher metric. Hey, man, it's got it's got a part of that has to be that God looks at me a little bit higher than I look at myself and though I may stumble and fall and make some mistakes and do this wrong or do that wrong whatever the case may be man I gotta believe that God is looking at me the way that I look at my kids you know like (laughs) tonight little Max is playing with a little garbage truck right and I know this is this like doesn't necessarily it's not a one for one example I'm gonna give it to you anyway because it's cute Max is um, playing with his garbage truck And it's always funny. It it makes noise when you grab it a certain way. It's got little buttons on it where the lights are. And he always forgets that there's buttons there. And it always surprises him when he grabs it aggressively and it makes a noise. He gets surprised. But so he he takes it on the uh, den table. I'm up there watching some baseball. And um, he's there on the coffee table. Room, 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 you know, making all these sounds, right, and then he shoves it off the end of the coffee table, it runs into the plants, and he sees it, he's like, oh, that's cool, the plants moved, so he picks it up, he does it again, and he's, sh- he's just chucking it off the end of the table at the plants, and mommy's sitting there, and she's like, oh, those are mommy's plants, Max, please don't do that, <laughs> he picks it up, and it starts making a noise he takes it and he throws it directly at the plant and the leaves all fall a little bit (laughs) she's like Max, no thank you I said do not throw the garbage truck at the plants and he's just laughing having a good time you know he's doing something he's not supposed to do Right. I'm still looking at him and I'm saying, that's my boy. Right. Cues the button. He's discovered this garbage truck. He's enamored with it. The wheels are just perfectly engineered. It can roll wherever he wants to roll it. He can chuck it wherever he wants to chuck it and it'll go. He's discovering his little pitcher's arm, you know, he's throwing it. He's having a good time. He may be doing something that he ain't supposed to be doing. And he knows he's not supposed to be doing it because she said no. But yet, he's still having fun. I'm looking at the positive. I'm looking at his potential. I'm like, yeah, the boy's got a good arm. He's standing on one end of the coffee table. He chucks the 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 fire truck or uh, the garbage truck. He knows exactly where he wants it to go, right in the plant. And he lands it. He nails it right in the plant. I'm like, that's awesome. The boy's got an arm on him. He's doing good. And honestly, if she wasn't there, I would have just let him do it all over again. He could have did it all night long. And I would have just laughed because he was laughing, having a good time, too. Yet he was doing something he wasn't supposed to do, right? He was doing something that was not satisfactory. One thing's for sure is that despite what he was doing that wasn't satisfactory, Despite what he was doing that wasn't wanted, nobody wanted him to do it. But because she said, don't do it, he wanted to do it that much more. And um, despite all of that, I didn't kick him out of the house. I didn't disown him. I didn't say that he wasn't my kid. Still my kid. Still my boy. Still love him. Everything. He hasn't lost his place, hasn't lost his position nothing. He did something that he was asked not to do and he still did it. And you know what we did? It was bedtime anyway. Picked him up. Took him to bed. Kissed him. Hugged him. Prayed with him. Read him books. Had fun. Put him to bed. He's sleeping. He's going to get up tomorrow morning. You know what? He's going to do the same damn thing. (laughs) He's going to find that... Garbage truck, <laughs> he's gonna throw it right back at the plant. You get what I'm saying? I know it's not one for one, but still, you know, it you get the point. Small example, but you get the point. We do stuff all the time that we probably shouldn't do, you know, and nobody's perfect, the poor body's nerfed, you know, we fuck shit up. That's what we do, we're human beings. It's what we do, and we have fun doing it, and then when it's all over with and we have to dust ourselves off and get back to walking straight, we get back to walking straight. You know it just is what it is. if I've said it so many times on this podcast if if we have this kind of love and affection and unconditionally, you know, for you know our kids, how much more does God have for us? you know, Come I in, come on, give me a break. Uh, But until this spiritual abuse shit Like it's over with Come on There's no need for me to go I've been in church my whole life And I don't need to hear another Death, hell, and damnation You know, message I don't I need to hear Yeah, God loves me and my dirty draws And no matter what, I'm still this kid And um And the more I press into my father The more I'm gonna look like him The more I'm going to talk like him, the more I'm going to live like him, you know, I'm going to be constantly because this is what Christianity is. This is what it means to be a disciple, to be constantly and progressively learning to worship him, to love him and to to serve him. You know, that's the definition of a disciple of Christ, always learning, always pressing for more. Uh, the last thing though and i'll end with uh i won't end with this but the last thing is uh <laughs> the politics in the church man it drives me absolutely nuts uh, my wife and i were having a conversation uh oh god i don't know this was some months ago we were talking about some people that have died of covid in the church and um i don't know i had something on and it was a a new bishop of you know of, of a denomination I used to be a part of. I'm like, oh yeah, 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 this is a new guy. You know, he's you know newer guy, whatever. And then we I, we started going through all these different names of bishops that have died and and stuff like that. And, um, the younger generation is starting to take over their parents' churches now. At least the denomination that I used to be a part of. Uh, like my cousin has taken over his dad's church. And, you know, it's just over and over and over again. I know people that, have, that are starting to take over their parents' churches. Their parents are old and ready to retire and just can't do it anymore, can't keep up. And they're passing the baton. And it's something that... um miles monroe talked about 10 years ago he was doing a leadership conference in the bahamas 10 years ago and uh, i don't know exactly when he died but he was doing this conference all over the world and uh, while he was on his way i don't know to jamaica or somewhere he was on his way to to do a conference on this very topic of passing the baton and um, and the plane crashed he and his wife died and some prominent leaders in his church that he was traveling with they all died in the plane crash but he had delivered the same message so many times it had been recorded over and over again to where the message that he was going to deliver was was already out there and it was shared all over church media for a long time and um and and I remember bringing this up to my leadership and us talking about it and blah 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 long story short um he was so smart in the way that he set up everything you know he had his his daughter who was the head of all of the marketing and books and all the extra stuff that he was doing that was bringing in money financing the church and financing their family all the extra stuff that he was doing and then you had the son who was being groomed in ministry to do all the ministry stuff and the succession planning was already in place, and the ministry was able to survive past his death. And so I remember talking about this to many pastors, several pastors, and this whole idea of, of succession and, you know, leaving out the politics and just getting people, younger people, groomed that you can pass the baton to when you finally die. And sad to say, a lot of that fell on deaf ears. And so, for a lot of churches, it's, it's more about the politics than it is about actually keeping the ministry alive and having a legacy that goes beyond your life. And that being a a huge sticking point for me uh, was another major reason why I'm just like, I'll die on this hill. I'm not going back to church. Because uh, the, the ministry, in my opinion, has to be so much greater than you as a person. You have to be willing to, if you're going to be in full-time ministry and pastor a church, or whatever, you need to have something in place where you are, where the work doesn't die because you die. It's like, it's like in business. I've learned, or just in life. Period. I learned this years ago from a business coach he said that the greatest gift that you can give your family, the the greatest love letter that you can give your family is a will. <laughs> and, and how many people die without a will? The majority of Americans die without a will. You know, the, there's no house, there's no cars, there's no investments or bank, you know, info, none of that stuff exists. And the family that you leave behind uh, is is freaking out about passwords to get into stuff. They don't know where stuff is, insurance information, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole lot of people that leave this earth and their family have to scrounge up the money in order to bury them because they didn't bother to take the one hour with someone, uh, some expert to put together a will. And say this is where this goes. This is where that goes. This money goes here. This money goes there. You know. You understand what I'm saying? Like it's important. Like if I die tonight. You know this house is paid off. My wife gets a million dollars. You know everything's taken care of. You've got it set up. It's in place. Pay for it monthly. I don't even think about it. It comes out of my check. I never even see the money. It just goes. Everything is taken care of. She's completely debt free. House is paid off. Everything is gone. Everything is done. She can stay here the rest of her life if she wanted to. Now she jokingly says. Uh, the first thing she's going to do is sell this house and get out of here. Because everything reminds her of me. And I get that. I understand that. Um, you got to have something in place. You know. But a lot of pastors and ministry, they don't have it. They don't have it in place. And what happens when you don't have stuff in place, because everything is about you, um, shit ends up in probate court. And then after government gets, you know, 80% of the money or whatever it is, whatever percentage, I'm being dramatic, but... You know, your family's left with nothing. Enough money to bury you and then live on with your memory with nothing to be stable for themselves. Forget that, man. You know, I'm a firm believer that politics and church just don't mix. As a matter of fact, according to the 501c3, uh, laws, bylaws for non-profit organizations, you cannot have anything to do with politics. Uh, you can't... You, uh, I'm being facetious here. You you, you can't uh, you know endorse a political candidate is what the law really says. But regardless, uh, politics just don't mix with it. Like so, if the, if the church is structured in a political form, where you get all this different hierarchy, it it just doesn't it doesn't jive. And when you as a visionary want to go forward with something. Like successorship or, you know, something that's completely biblical and and restructuring your vision and your purpose and stuff like that. And getting stuff done for your community and actually being a place where people can come and actually be ministered to for real. um, You get a lot of pushback. And that's not cool. That's not cool at all. So for me, those politics have to go. And that's the hill that I'm willing to die on. Those politics got to go for me. And as long as they're around, it's not a church that I want to be a part of. But all that being said, I I, I said the politics thing wouldn't be the last thing for me. I do want to end on a high note. I don't want you to be all depressed about shit about the church. So... I'll take these last few minutes just to tell you this. There is a high note for me. Something that I've learned in all my years of church that I actually love and believe in. And I'm like willing to keep this as a part of my life for the rest of my life and it's the principle of Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 through 40 and all those verses are summed up in two things and to believe it or not i actually learned this from a very very old man who's dead now who was my machine one of my machine shop teachers when i was in machining school Vocational school after high school. This very, very old man, been around forever, retired from two different jobs, and decided to live out his life, the remainder of his life, teaching machining through Focus Hope, Machinist Training Institute in Detroit. I cannot remember the guy's name, but he was part of Father Cunningham's organization. Father Cunningham was the founder of Focus Hope, who had a couple different arms the the main arm the main thing was the church but out of the church was birthed this community service arm focus hope is where they have this huge industrial facility that gives out food they feed 65% of the homebound seniors in the in the city of Detroit great organization 65% there's a lot of seniors that are homebound they can't leave their homes Families can't afford nursing homes and stuff like that in the city of Detroit. 65% of them are fed through Focus Hope Monthly. Great organization. The second part of their arm is, um, is the Machinist Training Institute, which I'm a graduate of. Um, and so in this school, I'm talking to this guy, this old man, and uh, he found out I was a Christian and he was a christian so he he said to me you know the most important verse in scripture most important passage in scripture i said no what is it he says matthew 22 and he took his two fingers and he banged me on the chest um and i never forgot that passage from that point on but it's 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 summed up uh and and very very quickly um. In, in two principles in this one principle love God and love people okay love God and love people and he didn't quote the whole thing but I'll read it to you real quick Jesus said to him thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart thy soul with all your mind this is the first and great commandment the second is like unto it that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And maybe he did quote the whole thing to me. I don't remember. But I know when I read that passage and, you know, grew older, you know, consolidated to those two things, love God and love people. And when I was in the church and I was pastoring, that was a principle that I lived by. It was a principle that I taught. Over and over again, it showed up in majority of my messages that I preached over the pulpit and it's one that I try to live every single day: love God and love people and verse forty is probably the most important part of that or one of the most part it is the most important part of that where it says on these two. Commandments, you can hang all the law and the prophets. That's a very powerful verse because you know, out of six hundred and thirteen laws that were written in the Old Testament, and all of the principles that were taught through all of the apostles and Jesus Himself through the New Testament. Um. They're all summed up in just those two things. And I've never really been part of a church that taught it, (laughs) to be honest with you. I mean, my church taught it because I taught it over and over again. You know, like when when it comes down to people feeling condemned for their lifestyle or you know, having troubles here or there or just constantly feeling like they're condemned because of something that they did or constantly feeling like they uh, constantly feeling like they were disappointing God or angering God or whatever the case may be. Every time someone had something like that to say, I, I would bring up this verse, this passage, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. You got to keep it in mind. I, I know most people that go to Romans 8 and 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You know, all of that, the, you know, verse 8 and 1 and 2. They'll quote that over and over again. And I get it. But when you got a person that's living according to the law, has they've been spiritually abused their entire church life, and they're constantly in that mindset of failing God and upsetting God, or whatever the case may be. They're constantly in that mindset of failure, they nobody can keep 613 laws. You just can't. But can you can you live by two? Can you can you can you make your prayer and your efforts toward two? Just loving God and loving people. The church that teaches those two things as a as a rule, as a guideline For their lifestyle and Christianity, I like it's just when you break those two principles down and you just build a life around that, man. It's so freeing. It's so much more liberating and uh, free of a lifestyle. You ain't gonna bat a thousand. Nobody does. You know, I love baseball. You can strike out seventy percent of the time and get in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you sh- you strike out at baseball 7 out of 10 times for your entire career. You will be in the Hall of Fame. You'll be mem- memorialized in whatever stadium you play for. Just bat 300 and you can do it. <laughs> okay. that's the rule in baseball. And you've got a God who's perfect, who wants to make you perfect. But you are not. And so he gave his son, Jesus Christ, who was perfect. And your faith in him, you take on his perfection. And you're seen by the eyes of God, through his perfect son, Jesus Christ. All your imperfections just fall away. It's just that simple. It's through faith. By grace, through faith, you're saved. That not of yourselves is the gift of God. And is not of works. It's not of works. Because God will never owe you anything. He can't. He'll never be in debt to you. You won't ever be able to boast and say, you know, I did everything right. You realize that that's what the scripture teaches us. Salvation. It's by grace through faith. It's on purpose that salvation is not of works. It's on purpose that way. So that you will never be able to boast and say that you did everything right. That's literally what the scripture says. (laughs) And if you're taught anything otherwise, I would argue that that's spiritual abuse. It's just that simple. God doesn't expect perfection out of you. Because if he did, then you would be able to boast. You'd be able to say, hey, I did everything right. Of course I'm in heaven. There would be no need for grace if you were perfect in all of your ways. There would be no need for faith if you were perfect in keeping every single law, never transgressing, not at one point. And I know a lot of people might cringe at some of the things that I had to say and think like, oh, you know, Maybe I don't think sin is real, or maybe I don't think that hell is real, or something like that. None of that's the case. It's just that I understand that the law came by Moses and grace and truth by Jesus Christ. I understand that that's what the scripture says. And by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is what the scripture says. We are saved by grace through faith. That means that perfection is not expected of you. Because it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace is giving you something that you don't deserve. Therefore, perfection cannot be expected because grace gives you what you don't deserve. And without grace, there's no salvation that lesson that I've learned like I learned that way back in the day when I was 18 years old starting Machinist Training Institute I learned that from that old man who's probably dead now hell for all I know I never even met that guy maybe he was just an angel or something (laughs) because honestly I can tell you one class I had actually no I tell you I take that back I did have uh uh, I, I had a math class with him where he was um, he was breaking down fractions in order to pass his class. You had to be able to um, you had to be able to see a fraction and then write down the decimal in inches, what it was out to a thousandth of an inch. <laughs> so a quarter, that's point two five, you know, a half inch, that's point five. You know, three quarters of an inch was, you know, blah, 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 blah. You had to Yeah, You you had to go through each one. But then you you didn't start at a quarter inch like you started at one sixty fourth of an inch and you had to go all the way up to an inch and you had to give the decimal points all the way out to one thousandth of an inch. And that was the class. And if you didn't pass that class, you had to start over. So, I do remember that he was the teacher for that class. Anyway, so he wasn't an angel. But the lesson that he taught me that day was, was phenomenal. I've never forgotten it. And I've known that scripture ever since. So, anyway, I'll leave you with that. That's the hill that I'm going to die on. And... uh you've got a hill that you're going to die on i'd love to hear about it and you got your gripes i want to hear about it and uh we can rap about it so with that appreciate you guys listening like and share us wherever you listen to us and uh um, check us out on all of our social media at unchurched pod for instagram and twitter you can uh, check out our website, get all the show notes and stuff like that, unchurchpodcast.show. And uh, email us there as well. Next time you hear me and Sean Dizzle together, thank you for listening. We love you a long time.
0: Peace.